the show you're about to hear discusses films, books, and TV shows in their entirety, twists, endings, and all, without fear of spoilers. So if you don't want to know who dies, who done it, or how it all ends, we strongly advise you switch off now. Hello, I'm Paul Tyler and welcome to Spoiler, the show which reviews movies, books and TV shows in their entirety. This week we're watching the dystopian sci-fi thriller Children of Men. And just another final warning, we will be talking about the whole of the plot. We will ruin it for you. So if you've not already seen Children of Men, go away, watch it now, then come back to us afterwards. Have they gone? Right, on with the show. There are certainties of me watching a film, no matter what the subject or genre. And there's a reason that lead actors get paid so much. They put bums on seats. Male leads that get my hard-earned ticket money are Ryan Gosling, Tom Hardy, and for a long time now, Clive Owen. Equally, an actress that would draw me in could be Rosamund Pike, Felicity Jones, and for a very long time now, Julianne Moore. So, Clive Owen, Julianne Moore, together, I'm in. Was stunned today by the death of Diego Ricardo, the youngest person on the planet. Baby Diego was adapted from the book of the same name by P.D. James. Children of Men is set in 2027. Somehow, women have become infertile, and chaos rules. Throughout his life, Diego Ricardo was a tragic reminder of the 18 years of infertility that humanity has endured. Thea, played by Clive Owen, gets tangled up in a plot to transport a pregnant woman to safety, if such a thing exists. Frolly. Frolly. Name my baby Frolly. It's the first baby in 18 years. You can't call it Frolly. Now, if you dive into the equally chaotic world of YouTube comments, you'll read the usual trolling dingbats, but also quickly come to the conclusion that Children of Men is an overlooked classic. Are we uh, planning a sing-along? Good. It's perhaps a puzzle as to why Children of Men is now described by many as a hidden gem, as critical responses at the time were glowing. After a bit of searching, I found the phrase run of the mill by Jonathan Romney of The Independent, and that's about as harsh as it gets. They like you. They don't like anyone. Maybe the answer lies in Peter Travers' opinion in Rolling Stone. I thought Curon's film was good when it opened. After repeated viewings, I know Children of Men is indisputably great. I want to call her Bazooka. Bazooka? You don't like it? I was getting used to Froley. So, if a film requires repeated viewings to get into your heart, it's not surprising that it could get overlooked by a generation that seeks so much instant gratification, and I'm talking about myself here more than you, and with so much choice available, who has time to watch films more than once? The spoiler team, that's who. Dylan. I'll call my baby Dylan. It's a girl's name too. Later in the show, we'll be taking a look at the history of cats in films. That's right, cats in films. <laughs> but first, joining me to discuss Children of Men are someone that realised there was a free bar at the British Podcast Awards and maintained their dignity. And someone <laughs> that realised there was a free bar at the British Podcast Awards and refused to recognise that the word dignity ever existed. <laughs> I'm going to let you make your own mind up which is which. <laughs> Rachel Burnett and Andy Goulding, everybody. Uh, right, OK, so Andy... Now, I've always made 
radio and, and, and podcasts and every, everything we've, we've done in broadcasting for the layman because, you know, that's what I am. Um, but I'm a layman and children of men completely pass me by. Why? Uh, well, there's a, there's a moment in this film where uh, you see a giant pig balloon in the background as a tribute to Pink Floyd. And to me, this film is Pink Floyd because... I can see that it's technically excellent. I can I can see why it's got all the plaudits heaped <laughs> upon it. But I feel no connection to it whatsoever. And that's how I've always felt listen, trying to listen to Dark Side of the Moon over the years. I never get it. I don't feel any emotional connection at all when I, when I watch this film for some reason. And I'm not blaming the film at all. And I'm not blaming me either. I just don't think somehow that we're a good match. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and so uh, I watch it and it looks fantastic and I admire its execution and everything but with that emotional disconnect it makes it really hard to watch I think it might be this director because I, I felt the same thing about Gravity which absolutely everyone loved except me I'm not having this <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it, it might be the, the directorial style, but I struggled to get into this. Right, I'm going to say it. It's you. Um, <laughs> and, and bear in mind, I was willing to take a lot of blame. Um, right, okay. uh, Rachel, um, so you see the words Clive and Owen and you say yes, don't you? Hell yeah. Yeah, exactly. Come on. And Julianne Moore, actually. I'm with you on that one too. I'm, yeah. pa- I'm Pam Ferris. Great ensemble cast. And... Um, I'm totally not with Andy at all. I am <laughs> amazing emotional connect to this film. Uh, I watched it when it came out. I was on the few that did. Um, I was blown away by it. I've read the book and I've watched it many times over the years. I've just bought the Blu-ray, watched documentaries. <laughs> I am saturated in this film and I love it. So um, it's totally different, I think, to um, I love that you can appreciate the technical abilities yeah. because it is yeah, technically incredible. And that can't really be disputed. It no. is technically incredible. And the performances are incredible. Um, and the fact that Clive Owen didn't get any kind of nomination for anything is beyond me. I don't get that. He was he carried the entire film. He was there in every single scene bar one. He made it look too easy. He did a Jeff Goldblum. He made it look too easy because he, he appeared to be <laughs> just thinking the lines and saying them. He didn't seem to be remembering them and saying them. It appeared to be his own thoughts that were coming out of his mouth. And he had to do... Um, despondency, he had to do despair, he had to do hope, he had to do fear, panic, everything. He had to do so many things and he did all of it and he was just fantastic. For me, he did carry the film. Julianne Moore, in the small amount of time that she's in there, she's not in there long enough, but she's so wonderful. <laughs> but she was great and the connection between them was wonderful. His relationship with Jasper, with Michael Caine was fantastic. There's just so much about this film that I love. So yeah. it is, I mean, let's talk about the opening because in, in the last programme we talked about Fleabag, which which I think uh, got me in the first three minutes just because of a very crude and hilarious joke. <laughs> uh, this got me in the first three minutes because of Clive Owen walking in, you know, looking cool as hell, mm, walking yeah. walking into a coffee shop while everyone else is gawping. Were they gawping at a TV screen? They is that right? Yeah. Uh, and he just orders a coffee, walks out, and then the place gets blown up. Yeah. And, and oh, but. It, to talk about that is is to do away with 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 the direction and the, and, and the shot and the single shot and the way the camera flows and uh, yeah I mean that this is Andy where, Andy where you must agree that that te- you know you've said absolutely. technically you understand yeah, it absolutely and, and that did that did grab me I did think when I saw that oh I'm going to enjoy this mm. and then it just didn't happen for mm. me yeah mm. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's my disapproving voice <laughs> well, I don't use it too much in the studio but it's come no, out. No, no. Mm-hmm. Well, when Rachel was just saying about all the performances and the relationships, I I didn't see it. I felt nothing, no chemistry between Clive Owen and Julianne Moore. I love Julianne Moore, 
and I didn't really feel that she bought it here. I, I didn't. I didn't feel she did much of the cat. I mean, you know, she didn't have much time because they they did a Janet Lee on her. But uh, <laughs> it was like no, like that moment before that, and the, again, it was an incredible scene. That moment with the attack where she's killed. That uh, that whole bit is is amazing. But the lead up to it, I was actually relieved when the attack happened because. <laughs> I just the, the it seems so forced the bit before that where you you were seeing them sort of this bit of levity where you see them it's supposed to show they're doing this little trick with a, a ping pong ball and I, I just didn't feel anything there. Well, it's dystopian. You get your kicks where you can get them. Don't you? <laughs> you know, I mean, it wasn't the it wasn't the it wasn't that. I mean, I don't know why because again I like these actors, but these performances did nothing for me at all. Mm. And then, like obviously, I was I was hoping for more Julianne Moore, and then bang, Julianne yeah. no more. Well, no, no. Yeah. Oh, yes, <laughs> oh, oh, that was Frank Skinner esque. Well done. Well done. Um, <laughs> quickly, Andy, was that written down? Or was it that, was not. No, that, that's not. No, 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 no. no, 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 no don't need to show me. I believe you. That came it's down. It's like countdown. Look, look. <laughs> look at my answers. Yeah. I don't, that's always an insincere. I don't know. I don't like that bit of countdown where they have to show the. Oh no! I, I think know. even mm. if I was the other person, even if they were lying, I would be too embarrassed to say no. Look, they're lying. Mm. <laughs> anyway, back, 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 back to children. Man, I've got a feeling Andy would rather talk about countdown. Um, were you frustrated? Like, were you, I mean, were you frustrated then that that Julianne Moore wasn't wasn't in this? I'm not going to say it. Um, more, <laughs> um, but it is when when do you see her come on the screen? You think, oh, good, and then she's she's not around for very long. So was I don't it, know. Are you saying, it, are you, she needed to be gone, didn't she? Because yeah, it, it created the drama of the next bit, and you know him. There is the the wonderful hero's journey is there in this mm. film. The total sort of the, the reluctant hero, and then the call to adventure, and then him not wanting to go to it, and then having to because she's not there. So if she'd stayed in it, then the, he wouldn't have had that impetus. So she had to go. And I have read the book, so there is a different dynamic. In the book, his wife isn't Julian. Julian is the pregnant woman mm-hmm. in the book. So in the in the book, we have him and his wife are divorced. She's remarried and is having children. With, well, not having children. She can't do that. She's gone on. <laughs> um, she's gone on to remarry someone else. And he falls in love with the pregnant woman. And that was his motivation to help her was he fell in love with her. And that was Julian. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a strange dynamic, but she... Much as I loved Julianne, and I do think she was good in it, because let's not forget, this is a society where you do have to repress emotion quite a bit. And hearts are dead a little bit. Without children, without future hope, without without meaning to get too deep with this, with, with this whole thing, you don't have that life, that giggling children, the playgrounds and everything else. Your, your heart's going to die a little bit. That emotional thing is not going to be there quite so much. And they have lost a child they're not going to be full of emotion and passion and everything else. The only passion you're going to have is for the cause, which she definitely had, but possibly not for each other so much because you're going to be guarded. And so it it sort of it seemed right to me that they weren't all over each other and they weren't they were all a bit dampened because I think society was a bit dampened mm. apart from you know when things happened that like even when the things blew up, nobody really went crazy about it. It's like he went into work and people were crying about Diego baby Diego but they weren't crying about the bomb that's just gone off and killed how many people in yeah. that cafe it seemed like it was commonplace so everyone just seemed a little bit I don't know 
numb, I suppose, yeah. numb to it. Yeah. So I felt everyone's performance was a little bit numb, apart from Michael Caine's performance, which is a little bit more out there, a little bit more hippie. But then he did say that he based it on John Lennon. Yeah, I couldn't I've see read that. that. I, I read that. I couldn't see that though yeah. either, really. But you do know, you do know, didn't you? you know when you see Michael Caine at the beginning, you think, he's going to get it. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the, I, what I quite liked about this. And it's still I've, the thing is I've still got it. I've not I've I've not deleted this film from my, from my tablet, which I watch it on, which I normally do after we do this. I kind of you know I, yeah. I, I watch it and then I sort of let it go and move on to the next thing. I've kept it there because I, I know I'm gonna I know I'm gonna come back to it. And um, I think what I like is that they, they they put a good amount on on the viewer to fill in the blanks. And, and like any good book, you could, you know they they trust you to do your bit as well, and you yeah. can bring stuff to this. Uh, and there's no explanation. There's no explanation about why uh, women are infertile. And you start to fill in your own blanks about how that came about and what's going on and and why he sort of lives outside, why people are throwing rocks at the train, you know. But there's no real there's no real reason or explanation for it. People talk about uh, Kieran's style, and I think that he he does do that sort of quite regularly. I mean, he did he did sort of say, I've got it down here. It's become uh, uh, you know, cinema's become a medium for lazy readers. And uh, it's great because you know it, it gives him the chance for the audience to to make the choices and fill in the blanks. And I think you know that's that's that, and I did I I got so much out out of this just by being able to make my own choices with mm. it. And there's uh, a lot of detail in it. It's, it is sort of multi-layered. You've got your the the very obvious story on the top, but if you look in the background of everything, there's graffiti everywhere, and there's um, newspaper clippings, and mm-hmm. there's this and there's that, and you can try and piece together what you think could be going on. And he purposefully did that, and he he did he didn't actually read the novel, which surprised me. But actually, I can in, if you read the novel, you can see that he didn't. All he did was take the the character names, the premise, and I think one other thing, and I can't remember what it was, and he just went with that. And you can tell that's what he did because the the book it's very loosely based on this book. It's it's very very dissimilar. Um, it's much more about the establishment versus the people in the book, and this is much more about immigration and and other things it's, it's a different theme entirely i think mm. well i would think one so. one thing that made me really like this more was because i was unfamiliar with this i went back on youtube to see what uh, mark kermo thought of it because i listen, listen to entertainment every week hello to jason and <laughs> i thought well, I, I, let me refresh myself because i must have heard this review because i listen to the podcast every week um and I did, oh, madness herein lies. Like I said in the introduction, I went down to the comments section. I'm sorry, I, you know, you, you all thought I was better than that, didn't you? I know, I know, I know. I went down to the comments section and there's the, you know, there's the usual vulgar names and things there. But quite a few people did, you know, did say that it was left-wing propaganda, <laughs> which actually made me like it more. <laughs> well, sitting here listening listen to both of you now, and again, what you were saying there, Paul, about there being lots for us to fill in and they don't give us all this information... And that again, that's another thing I totally agree with you. Is better, it makes the film better. And a lot of people online were really frustrated that, that wasn't. But I don't think you should you should have it all handed you on a plate. And then Rachel, like the, some of the points you're making about the acting, are so frustratingly good that I might have to go back and watch the film again. <laughs> but, uh, but I always feel like I have to apologise for not liking don't. this film. But <laughs> I, I just I just don't I don't know what it is. There's well. I've, I've got I've got one idea. I mean, you've read the book, haven't you, Rachel? Mm, yeah. And uh, P.D. James described it herself as a Christian fable, didn't she? Mm. And I've read reviews of it that said that there's a, a sort of central theme of, of Christianity overcoming a morally bankrupt society. And obviously for the film, that was removed, uh, which I think is quite important. I think I, I would have liked it even less if it had, it had... It makes it more universal, doesn't it? But 
I feel like nothing was put back in there to replace that central theme of what was removed. So it feels to me like it's a story that's had its guts ripped out and then rather than, than put something back in there to replace it, it just discreetly papered over it with an aesthetically pleasing bandage, but a bandage that only has like a two-hour lifespan. Mm, I kind of get that. Having read the book, I don't know whether Christianity just kind of passes me by. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I didn't really see it that much. I mean, it was definitely there, but I mean, I didn't focus on it a huge amount. I mean, the the reason for the infertility in the book is to do with the man. And I think there's more of an indication it could possibly be to do with a woman in the film. But um, it's strange. I've read reviews where people have said that the action parts were really good, but it began to lose them when it focused on Key and Mm. on Miriam. Whereas I'd have liked to see more of Key and Miriam, and, and I loved Miriam talking about when she worked as a midwife, and this was in the book, and how you know she was looking seven months ahead in her appointment book, and then she phoned her sister or, or whatever, and she had the same thing. And I thought, I'd like more of that. I'd like yeah. more of... Um, that was one moment, actually, that almost got me emotionally. Uh, I kind of... Uh, that's interesting, because that's the moment that I thought needed expanding. Yeah. If I could change anything, I would more. I would want more of that. I think maybe this is it. I think maybe more of the female, again, the female part of it, because another really strong character that I really liked was Mariska, yeah. who was just just this entirely good person who had nothing to gain from helping these people when she first helped them. She didn't know that that she was pregnant or she was going to have a baby or whatever, but she just she was going to help them. And then when she did, my initial thought was, oh, my God, she's going to take the baby. But she wasn't taking it. She was just helping. And um, and at the end, she could have got on that boat. She could have gone with them, but she was like, no, because she could probably put off people that were going to come and try and stop them. And she was just so selfless. Mm. And I thought more of that, you know, less of the action that everyone said was brilliant, which it was brilliant. But actually, I think your 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 need for heart and passion could have come from more of that. Yeah. Um, like the there was a beautiful scene where um, Kia's laid on the bed with the baby, and there's the older lady with the oranges, and and Mariska's there as well, and they're playing and. And Key says, oh, they love my baby. And she didn't expect that. I think she's been told that people will want to use the baby. and yeah. all that. She didn't expect people to, to be really moved by the baby. And there wasn't quite enough of that for me, Yeah, actually. that's exactly what I felt. What um, does the baby represent to people? We didn't yeah. see the reactions enough and, and get a sense of the importance. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to disagree here. Uh, and um, passively aggressively <laughs> disagree. In that what I, I, my jaw was dropping at the soldier's response to the yes. baby. When they brought the baby mm. out of the building, the soldier's response mm. was just like, you know, the, the gunfire, shooting a gun one minute over here. <laughs> That's a gun noise. <laughs> he's doing the, the he's doing miming it as well. You can't <laughs> see that. And and then they stop and they're just amazed and yeah. they, you know taken back and it's like you know and, and letting them through obviously because they 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 realise how how priceless it is and you know this 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 could be the future this could be mm. the, the you know the, it, then it all crumbles again it doesn't last mm. long enough they go yeah. back to it straight mm. away almost. Yeah, that must admit that almost didn't ring true. It's yeah. like obviously the person that did that that blow that broke that didn't know that there was a baby there. Yeah. But I was surprised that they immediately turned to try and mm. do something about it. Instead of maybe a group of them ushering them to safety or escorting them to safety. Yeah. All of a sudden they forgot all about this baby that everyone's been waiting for for eighteen years. Yeah. But they all turned straight back to fighting. But then maybe that's the mindset. Maybe that's what they do now. You hear a gun and you start firing it. Yeah. Well, I think in my mind, I played that scene that they were going to, that someone there was going to sort of take charge and take the baby back to authority, you know, some authorities. Mm. But here's the point. Here's the fill in. Who are the authorities? Where, yeah. where yeah. are the authorities? Yeah, exactly. have, they, have the authorities broken down? Mm. Uh, these are the bits that, you know, they, 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 hey, we can talk about it here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, that's it. I mean, it, the, 
the implication is that Britain is the only non-chaotic, I mean, it seemed pretty chaotic to me, but it's the most civilised place left in the world. And they, they say at the very, very beginning, something about the 1,000-day siege or 10,000-day siege of Seattle was still going on or mm-hmm. something, and New York was destroyed. And so you get decided the whole of the rest of the world is completely decimated. Mm-hmm. Um, so Britain is the only country left standing. Which is probably the most unrealistic part of the Absolutely, film, isn't it? I mean, completely you know, unrealistic. Give, give us a couple of days on a petrol strike. We're already ro- raiding the spa at the end of the street. Exactly, exactly. We'll be the first to go. <laughs> OK, so later Rachel is going to be taking a look at some famous performing pussies and this isn't going that's not going in (laughs) I'm trying to to read that out and that's after this short break hope you're enjoying the show so far if you'd like to help us make more you can do so by visiting our webpage spoilerpodcast.co.uk clicking on the donate button and giving whatever you think we're worth or you can help us out for free and get yourself an audiobook of your choice into the bargain by signing up for a free 30-day trial with Audible via the link on our website. Audible have the world's largest selection of audiobooks, including the original novel Children of Men by P.D. James. You can cancel your membership at any time within the 30 days and you won't pay a penny, but you still get to keep your free audiobook. Just go to spoilerpodcast.co.uk and click on the Audible trial ad on the left-hand side. We get a few quid each time someone signs up via our link, which will help fund producer Johnny's autobiographical self-published vanity book, Being Johnny. Now, back to the show. (laughs) Hold my finger, quick, quick. So welcome back to Spoiler, where we're talking about 2006 Children of Men. Now, inspired by the cat that takes to climbing up Clive Owen's leg in Children of Men, as well as her own love of all things cat. Rachel has been taking a closer look at some famous feline film stars. It is surely true that there are few films that couldn't be improved by the addition of a cat. Wouldn't life feel just slightly better if, as well as R2-D2, Luke took along a fat ginger tabby to Dagobah to meet Yoda? Oh, what shenanigans the little green guy could have enjoyed with a feisty kitty to play with. Some filmmakers totally understand this, and while their films would have been okay without their catty additions, I suppose, for me and many others, it just put the cherry on the cake. When thinking about incidental cats in films, we're not talking about films about cats, that's a whole different feature. The very first feline who springs to mind is the ginger fluffpot Jonesy in Ridley Scott's Alien. Jonesy, come here. How are you, you stupid cat? Not only is Jones as good an actor as any of his human counterparts, he also survives the whole film and ends up cuddled up on the lap of the lovely Ripley, completely unscathed. The cat's got skills. I read online that there are viewers out there who were actually annoyed by Jonesy, leading some of the characters to their deaths, which I concede is partially true. But I think it all boils down to jealousy. Let's face it they're never going to end up miles away from anyone in the loving arms of Sigourney Weaver. And you, you little shithead. You're staying here. What's new, pussycat? Maybe it's something about ginger cats, but there are two others who end up snuggling Hollywood beauties. The imaginatively named Cat from Breakfast at Tiffany's and the equally dull-named Buttercup from the Hunger Games films. Cat, the poor no-name slob, lives with a mixed-up Holly Golightly, played to perfection by the stunning Audrey Hepburn. Poor old cat. Poor slob. 
What a slap without a name. She's never bothered to name him, as she doesn't believe anything should belong to anything or anyone. The way I look at it, I don't have the right to give him one. We don't belong to each other, we just took up by the river one day. She further illustrates this point at the end of the film by flinging the poor creature out in the rain and into a strange alleyway before driving off in a taxi. Scram! I said take off! Speed it! Let's go! Fear not those who have not seen the film. She does come back to get him and proceeds to snoodle him all up. Though Cat does look rather squished and soaked with rain, he also looks rather smug as she kisses the top of his head. And who can blame him? Buttercup also has to take some dramatic shouting and a few tears, not to mention some household objects being flung at her head. Get out! Prim is gone! Prim is gone! Before being embraced by the emotionally shattered Katniss Everdeen, played with raw intensity by Jennifer Lawrence in Mockingjay Part 2, Buttercup is the last surviving link to Katniss's beloved sister, and you feel will be an important part of any kind of healing process. See, cats, what would we do without them? I can't really talk about ginger cats in films without mentioning Ulysses, who really is the ultimate scene stealer in the Coen brothers' Inside Lewin Davis. He's a bit too instrumental, really, to be mentioned here, but I love the little fella so much, I'm going to let it slide. Just watch the film, watch Ulysses, especially when he's on the subway for the first time, and you'll see why I had to include him. start thinking that I only care about ginger cats, and it's true my own toothless rescue cat is a marmalade boy, there are two other cats worthy of mentioning who are not of the orange hue. Pie-wacket. Pie-wacket in Bell Book and Candle is a Siamese cat, and he is a witch's familiar. To be honest, this film was something of a disappointment when I watched it. It stars Jimmy Stewart and Kim Novak, two of my all-time favourite actors, and they have proven on-screen chemistry and should have been a guaranteed winner. But the plot's a mess, the feel of it is all over the place, and the leads seem to be struggling a little with how they're meant to be playing it. But there's Piwacket, not only one of the best names for any pet ever, he's also a complete star. Watch the little guy's face whenever Kim Novak is snuggling him. The cat knows he's being adored by one of the most beautiful actresses of that time, and he really does look like he got the brain. <laughs> Cosmic Creepers, named so because that's the name he came with, is also a witch's familiar, and this one comes in the traditional black, albeit a scruffy bits falling out all over the place black. Cosmic belongs to Miss Price, played by Angela Lansbury in Bedknobs and Broomsticks, and goes against Disney type to be neither cute nor affectionate, nor does he talk or save the day. He's just aloof, independent, and, well, the most cat-like of all the cats I've talked about. <laughs> Cosmic Creepers alone. Weren't his fault. All hell, Cosmic Creepers. As we wrap up this small foray into the world of filmic cats, I must just reassure listeners that, contrary to what you may think, I'm not a cat person per se. I lean towards them as I have one of my own. But I am nothing if not fair, and could easily do the same for dogs in films, raccoons in films, there are more examples of that than you might think, and even horses. But for now, let's allow the cats to have their green and give them their moment to shine before they inevitably look at us with utter contempt and walk off in disgust. Great stuff. Thank you very much for that, Rachel. Now, it, it, 
I, I read on IMDb, and we'll come to some IMDb trivia. Mm-hmm. You'll be pleased to hear in a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, but it says that almost every shot contains an animal. Um, I, I think I'd heard this. I might have even heard you talk about this, and I didn't notice it. <laughs> Well, it's I, I noticed there was some animals in there, but I didn't. I didn't notice it. No, I must admit, I sort of read about the animals and thought, "Oh, is there?" And hmm. then when I read, when I went back, I thought, "Oh my god, they're everywhere! Ah. They are absolutely everywhere!" <laughs> and and that's not a bad thing at all. <laughs> no, as they um, would be. I mean, one thing I, when I was doing the washing up the other day, I was thinking about this. Just as I was scraping the grease off the plates, I was, I was thinking <laughs> that actually, I mean, actually, the, as human society reaches a level like this. I actually think another animal species would take over. It would probably be the ants. <laughs> you know, that, that flying ant day, that flying ant day we have every year. That's, that, mark my words, that, mm. that's it. That will get to two days soon and three days. And then that, that's it. We'll be, we'll, we'll be gone very soon. So we won't need to worry about this kind of dystopian future because the ants will have it. Um, but uh, I am definitely going to go back and watch this, this again. And I'll be, I'll be doing things like counting animals, I think, yeah, which is unusual for loads. me. I mean, it, it makes sense to me because... Humans do it now, where we buy cats and dogs and, and things like that, and we make them into our furry... We call them furry babies. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have a cat, and he's totally my surrogate child. And I think without children, you still want to nurture. You still want to look mm-hmm. after something. You still want to feel needed. And I think... So that's why almost everybody has a dog or a cat in this. And um, on the side of the bus at the start, it's um, it, there's um, an automated like film thing across the bus, and it's um, dog clothes. So fashion for dogs. Mm. And so that's where your indulgence for what you would have given to your children goes on to these animals. But there's zebras in the park. I think there's zebras and a camel and all sorts of things. So that's also to do with societal breakdown because obviously you're not going to be thinking about keeping zoos going and the money going there. You're just going to let them out and what have you. But yeah, I, I love the fact that the animals are in there. And once you notice them, you can't stop noticing them. They're all over the shop. Do you think they? I mean, I'm going to dig further than than is comfortably necessary on this one. <laughs> I mean, do you think they would notice? I mean, this is the, the, this is a huge change in evolution, isn't it? I suppose, mm. if you like. And I, I I think they would be nodding to each other, saying, "We got a chance." Really, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. These, these idiots are messed up. Let, yeah, let's, let's, let's go for it. Well, you know, cats only need the opposable thumbs, and that's it. They've, <laughs> they've got the world. But um, I thought it was really interesting that the animals loved Theo. As well. Mm-hmm. They were all over him like a rash, like the little kitten was trying to go up his leg. And the dogs at the farm, Thomas said, they don't like anybody, but they like you. Yeah. When Key was having her baby, the dogs were going crackers outside. Bark, 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 bark. And, um, but I, I don't think they were necessarily waiting for us all to die. Uh, well, it was a long washing up session. Um, <laughs> yeah, we'd, we'd left some from the night before, you know. <laughs> right, so, but my, fav- my favourite piece of IMDb trivia is the fact that L- Theo never gets to smoke an entire cigarette. Oh, something, yeah, that's Something good, yeah. always happens. Yeah. And I think that was, uh, what, what triggered that, I thought, well, that's a great trigger for writing, is that, you know, if you want something to happen... Right, your character starts smoking a cigarette, then something has to happen to stop him doing. <laughs> I thought that was that was that was really good. I thought I I, I, enjoy, I enjoyed that. I mean, seeing as how we're diverting a bit, right? Yeah. <laughs> and Andy's not into Where this film anyway. There? We love it, right? Oh, we do. <laughs> so this so many with so many dystopian films, and I watch things like The Walking Dead and stuff like that. Have you got a plan for when? I mean, <laughs> because you know we're not far from it all going a bit belly up now, are mm-hmm. we? What what what's your plan? What are you going to do? Uh, I think getting a few animals, cats, dogs, for company. <laughs> I quite like the little hut in the woods that Jasper has. I quite like that. I think just going out into the woods into a little hut with your animals and just reading until you run out of everything and then just 
I don't think I'm one of these survivors. I think I'd be quite happy just to curl up and just let it happen. Yeah. I, I'm not a fighter and I'm not somebody like, for anything, let's just do it. I'm, I'm just not that sort of person. I'd mm. rather just gently... I mean, there is... They mention in the film a little bit, you see the quietus thing. Mm-hmm. That's a lot more in the book. That's a real sort of political point is the quietus thing. This is a government-imposed thing where old people are basically... I don't want to say murdered, but they kind of are, where the quietus is is not a little kit where they send a pill and you take it and you die nicely. It's actually where you go out to a cliff edge and they drug the old people and they chain them and then they basically get all the old people just to step off the cliff edge and die and they weigh them down. So it's very, very different. But in the film of Children of Men, this idea of the quietus just seems so much more gentle. And I think I'd be like, has anybody got any quietus I can use? And then I'd just <laughs> go into the hut with my little cat and... Um, and just try and drift off, I think, because the world is quite harsh enough. I don't want to live through anything harsher than this, quite mm. frankly. Oh, Andy, I mean, where you live, they're never going to find you, are they? I mean, <laughs> I mean, this could happen, and you, you know, a trip, in, a trip, in, a trip into nearly civilized society when we come and record spoiler. You're going to go, what? What's going on? <laughs> no, I'm ready. I've got a plan. I live not far from a, a food store, co-op food store. No, oh, brilliant. Uh, but like, not, not not the shop. Obviously, I mean that would be gone pretty. But That's like same. the actual distribution centre. Uh. So yeah, I mean I'm all over it, and I, I yeah yeah. I'm, I, oh, so you actually <laughs> want to last? Because my plan is just to die as quickly and painlessly yeah, as possible. Yes, me and Andy on the same wavelength. <laughs> yeah, see, I do, but I also know exactly what will happen. Um, it would be the kids. I'll be looking after the kids. Ah, of I'll say, right, you need to come over here, otherwise that man with a gun's going to shoot us, and they'll disagree with me just because that's what they do. Mm. And that'll be it. He'll, you know, he'll, he'll, they'll find us, and he'll have my keys to the co-op distribution food oh, store. Oh, that's no good. I know exactly. Yeah, there you go. That's yeah. the difference between two people who don't have children and one that does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. Okay. So where, where, we go? where the hell are we going now? <laughs> um, so the, uh, 2006. I mean, it, it surprised me. Because because obviously this passed me by, but it surprised me that this is well over ten years old now, and because it didn't for me it didn't feel like it. Well, the the strange thing is with this film. So two thousand six came out, didn't well, I think it just made back its money only just, but critical acclaim. Ten years on, so well just in December last year, all of a sudden there was a resurgence, and it was being mentioned in a lot of press and a lot of the media, and it was because I think because of Trump getting in, because of all the things that were going on in the world. All of a sudden it got a new relevance and actually the things that they'd said in this film, the things that they'd shown, which seemed not outlandish but a bit, wow, really? Is that going to happen? They're actually starting to happen. Like this idea of like demonising immigrants, which has happened throughout the, you know, throughout history. But this, the headlines on some, on some of the newspapers where Clive Owen is being kept, they're almost like real, like accurate for mm, now. Yeah. So I do think that this film has come of age in, in, in some respects and I love the fact that Alf- Alfonso Cuaron said that he didn't want to make um, a Blade Runner he wanted to make an anti-Blade Runner mm-hmm. he didn't want to have hover cars and he didn't want to have all this futuristic stuff he wanted it to look real and it does feel real even like 10 years on from it being made and 10 years away from the setting of it in 2027 it seems entirely plausible to me that this could be the future it doesn't seem crazy it doesn't seem outlandish well I for one I'm pleased I've got a plan well, yes. <laughs> I mean, I like the fact somebody mentioned in a review there's no mobile phones or laptops. And I didn't notice the lack of them. But had they put, like, futuristic mobiles and laptops in, you'd spend the whole time going, oh, I don't think they'd look like that. Yeah. And it would, it would pull your focus. But by not doing that, and by not making floating cars, but by making cars that look kind of real, but a little bit different yeah. and a little bit... They just pitched it so well. It's, it's so believable. 
as being like 10 years from now. I can totally see it. It's funny, I, I tend not to like twists or twists that happen quite early on and you can you, you start to predict and play out sort of something that happens. And I mean, going back to what we said earlier about uh, Julianne Moore's character, um, and when, when Theo finds out that they want to kill him as well, I don't know, I, I, that, that, for me that is a twist, but it wasn't significant enough to upset me. <laughs> um, and it was, it was just like, oh, oh right, okay, got that. Because, you know, again, it, you, I, a lot of the time you end up with this film watching it and thinking, what would you do? And I'd, be, I'd have thought I'd, I'd probably just stayed in bed <laughs> and, not, <laughs> and not gone and wandered around a farm and stuff like with yeah. people with guns and things around. I'd, you know, I'd have just rolled over and tried to get some sleep. But he went, he's an inquisitive sort, and he went, he went and found <laughs> out you know, that they were planning to do, do him away as well because that was the original plan. Yeah. Uh, but actually, you know, he, he kicked that car door into the motorbike and, uh, and managed, managed to get away. Well done. <laughs> he was very handy with the car door. Yeah. He used it qu- twice to get somebody off, didn't he? Which was really good. I wouldn't say it's a, it's a twist, really. It's more just a progression yeah. of the plot, isn't it? So, yeah. And, and this, this film does, again, more stuff that I like. It does move forward yeah. well. And it, there's con- it, I, it's not boring, but no. it's, I just I don't connect with it. <laughs> uh, but I mean, that, there's a lot of action throughout it, but the big action scene for me when they're in the, in the building um, and I, I think there's a lot of talk in, in, about Alfonso's sort of use of the of the one shot technique, and some people are claiming that he stitches shots together very very cleverly to make it look like one shot. Either way, it doesn't matter. It looks great. Um, but there was one point I think during the uh, during the building scene where blood gets splattered on the camera, yeah. and that took me out of the moment a second because I was thinking, well, obviously that's hit the camera. Is that I don't know. Is that supposed to be my face that's following it through or doing that? But that still took me out of the film. But I did just sort of think, well, actually, no, that's really good. I like that because, you know, if I was there, then blood would have been splattered in my face. And that is that is good. That and was then, actually a mistake, though, wasn't it? Yeah, it got it was, left yeah. in because he had to be convinced to keep that mm. in there because uh, he'd been doing this shot for hours. And so what did you think? What did you think when you saw that? You see that on there. What do you think? Do you think, oh, they, they should have taken that out or should have left it in? It's, it's tough. I, I didn't like it, really. I, I would have taken it out if possible. But I didn't think it... It ruined it enough for me that I would have gone, no, set up this bid long take and let's yeah, go yeah. again either. Uh, but, I mean, maybe that's why I'm not a director. You need to be <laughs> you need to be a perfectionist like that, maybe. I mean, he did shout cut, apparently. Yeah. Apparently, if, if you listen really carefully, you can hear him say cut. <laughs> that's thing I'm going to go back um, to. I've apparently, I've never now to... I've really listened. I haven't heard it. But um, he did say cut, but they, they were so in the moment, they just kept going. And I, I can't imagine Clive Omas would have been like, oh, for goodness sake. Because <laughs> it's right from that moment when they first come out and into the street and they see the fish and everything else. That's an entire shot before they even get onto the bus where the squib goes off and, it's, and it affects the camera. So you'd be like, oh, I'm not going to stop it now. I'm really not. And actually, it's weird as you follow it through and you can still see the blood. And then there's a moment you think, oh, the blood's not there anymore. When was that wiped off? I, don't not- I didn't notice that happening. And you don't notice it going. But it does go. It's not there the whole. It's not there the whole time. With that other long take, that famous long take where she has the baby, mm. did it bother you that the baby's born so quickly? Or no, I mean she starts contractions when she's on the bus. So actually, that's been going that's on for quite the, a while. Yeah, and she's a young. She's a young woman. I'm not saying that young women have babies quickly because I don't. But um, um, <laughs> no, a friend of mine had her baby in two and a half hours from start yeah. to finish. Yeah, so it can happen. And and she is sort of you know she's on a bus that jogging motion yeah. and there's quite a few bits that could and she's under stress, um so I imagine it it could the baby could have come out that quickly yeah. and I'm kind of glad they didn't draw that out because yeah. that was really uncomfortable. I'm torn on it really. I'm mm. torn on whether I would have preferred it to be at, just a scene with a few more cuts that made it seem like a longer time. Mm. But it is an amazing 
scene the way it's done in that. Oh, that so one clever! Shot. I mean, I didn't even know. I mean, I watched my DVD special features the other day, and I knew the baby was CG. I knew that. Yeah. I didn't know that her legs were prosthetic. <laughs> I'm like, oh my god, that's amazing! <laughs> so the whole thing is, and the breath was added on, and wow, just so impressive. And the little baby's so cute. But I'm glad it didn't linger. As a, as a woman watching a woman having a baby, you want it over <laughs> as quick as possible. <laughs> <laughs> well, whenever I watch anything like that on TV now, um, I always think, well, no, they're doing it wrong. <laughs> because, uh, since our youngest was born, and uh, she, she did, apparently they, they they tried to get you to do it stood up over a well, apparently this happened, uh, they get you to do it stood up over a toilet, right? I know because you can lean on the system, oh and if, if you're leaning up that way, um, the cervix opens thirty three percent more, which makes it easier to have mm. the baby. Okay. So every time you know, always classically on TV now, they're like you know they're sat back with their legs in the air mm. and stuff like that, and I always go, no, no, that's wrong, because <laughs> <laughs> I'm an expert now. <laughs> Uh, right, so oh, let's let's talk about the ending because this again is is another one where you're leaving the story, you're leaving the story open to interpretation uh, of us. And uh, unfortunately, you know, Cl- Clive, uh, take, I mean, after all those bullets flying around, yeah. it was a bit stormtrooper in that, you, that yeah. no one got, you know, hang on a minute. I Even, even me, I've never fired a gun in my life. I think <laughs> I think I might have hit Clive Owen yeah. in that street. And me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny, you know, because I always have a plan as well. If someone's going to be shooting, <laughs> get me, if someone's going to be shooting a gun at me down the street, it's always about running around and moving and changing and going up and down and things like that, isn't it? <laughs> well sorted yeah, out. I've yeah, got yeah. a new plan now. I'm going to sort of follow Paul so around. Right. <laughs> All round Paul's round, round to mine, round to mine. I'll give you four hours before I start locking the doors and uh, <laughs> getting all those tins of beans from the co-op. Um, other supermarkets are available, but they're not near, but they're not near me, so I'm not going to talk <laughs> Go about then. them. It's no. not worth mentioning. No. Um, but, and so, and, and, to the, and to the end, so they're in the boat mm-hmm. and they're, they're, they're taking it off to this, this mystical land um, that you're not even sure exists. No. Could, what's going to happen? Who knows uh, when, when, when Key finally gets aboard the boat and you're not sure if the boat's going to turn up and then mm. just as uh, as Clive's uh, or Theo we should call him by his character name Theo's light sort of uh, goes um, a boat pulls up it does and, and you're really glad that's not in the book at all by the way no um, how, does the, the, how does the book end Theo doesn't die for a start and there is no such thing as a human project as I say it's much more about the establishment against the people in the book so what you have you know his cousin who he goes to get the papers from they are the people chasing the baby and Luke and Patrick, who are chasing them and the fishes that are chasing them, trying to kill them, they're actually part of the of the gang. They're part of with Key and, well, not Key, she's called Julian, and um, Theo, they're all together. So it's a totally different dynamic. So at the end of it, um, the cousin catches up with them, the baby's been born, and Theo kills him. Theo kills the cousin, and he becomes... I can't remember what they call him now. It's not like the Prime Minister, but like the, the Keeper of Britain or something. Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's a moment where he takes the ring off his cousin's finger and puts it on his own, and you think, oh, now the power's ch- shifted, and you're going to become like that, like absolute power corrupts absolutely. Mm. Um, but he's he's alive, and he's in love with Julian, and the, and the baby's been born, so it's totally different. It really is very loosely based on this novel. Mm-hmm. So you, you couldn't have read the book and gone, oh, I know what's going to happen because yeah. you don't. Good. Um, but I actually really like how it finishes in the film because Alfonso Cuarón said that he wanted it to to be the beginning. It wanted, it wanted the film to end, but actually that's the beginning of the real story. And it is, actually. It's like, what happens now? Are they going to be kind to her? Are they going to try and use the baby? Or mm-hmm. who are these people? Is there somewhere they're going to in the boat? Or are they just always on the boat? And so many questions. But I really like that. I don't mind a film that ends with loads of questions. Mm. I like a film that ends nice and open-ended mm. as well. But 
did it bother you at all that the boat is called Tomorrow? Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was a little bit, I did actually put clunky. my head in my hands. Which boat? Moment. The big, the big boat. The one that comes boat. at the end, yeah. yeah. It yeah. felt like for a director who's so against yeah. giving you too much, that, that seemed a little bit cheesy. Yeah. And it was done right at the end. I didn't find anything else cheesy in this film. No. But that that seemed a little bit... Uh, Do you have uh, preferred Boaty McBoatface? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm going to mock up a gif of that, I think. <laughs> A gif. I, you know, oh I, have no, I have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> I couldn't begin to do a gif if I tried to. Um, so, uh, Rachel, anything to do with the soundtrack? Just a little bit. Just a little bit. I did, no- I did note down a few things. It's like um, a little any other business. AOB. AOB. Yeah, so John Taverner. Or Taverner. I don't know how to say his name. I preferred the first one. Yeah, Taverner. Yeah, um, so, yeah, he did something really unusual. He didn't score the film by watching the film. He scored the film by reading the screenplay, which is really weird. Yeah. Um, because you're not then, like when you're composing score, you're picking up um, punctuation points of action or if you want a certain emotion to be evoked or whatever. And he didn't do that. He read the screenplay and created, I don't know, like a symphony, I suppose, and went, this is how this film feels as a whole. But it's it fascinates me that it still fits really well, even though there isn't actually a score that was scored to fit it. It's really strange, but it gets the emotion across. And they use a lot of Marla, and I love Marla. Um, it's quite depressing, really, but so beautiful. And I can't pronounce the, the German title of it, but it was something about songs of the death of children or something like that. And it's, so it's also very sort of logical and a good choice. But, and the choral stuff, which was also done by John Taverner, was, was just sublime. I love choral stuff, especially when it's something quite spiritual or thinking about spirituality and to bring in a chorus was really, really beautiful. I've got one other piece of business before we wrap up <laughs> as well. Uh, you know this, this game that people play where you take two celebrities and you have to get from one to the other by linking through films that other people have been in with them? Mm. I can now get from Clive Owen... To our producer Johnny Hoare in Ooh. two moves. Oh, go on. Clive Owens in Children of Men. Yeah. Rob Curling is a man who plays a newsreader in Children of Men. He also presented the 90s daytime quiz show Turnabout. And Johnny Hoare was in the audience for a filming of the <laughs> quiz show Turnabout. There you are. There we two go. degrees of separation. <laughs> turnabout? From Clive Turnabout. <laughs> well done, Andy. That's impressive. Yeah. Oh, can I just, one more bit. Pam Ferris, can I just say how, how good Pam Ferris was? She is the most chameleonic actress ever. She can be the Trunchbull, she can be Mar Larkin, <laughs> and then she can be Miriam with dreadlocks and a midwife, who was extremely sacrificial and amazing in the end. <laughs> and she was exactly the same character as she was in the book. So hey. she clearly, she was probably the only person that actually read the novel. <laughs> it took me a while to realise who she was. I knew I knew yeah. her. Yeah. And that, that's, that's how good that's she is. How good, exactly, that's, how good she that's is. exactly how good wonderful. she is, yeah. I didn't want it to go without mention that no, she No, no, well said, Rachel. Yes, amongst no, amongst the, the ridiculously good. many notes I've got on this, I did, I did have uh, one of my favourite ways of doing it, Pam Ferris discussion. Yes. There you go. We've got there you it. Are. We've got it. We've got it. Um, right, okay, so when it comes to a rating, I've simply got mm, uh, Clive Owen or Danny Dyer. <laughs> um, it's it's not quite Danny Dyer, but it's it's not quite Clive Owen either. It's Clive call, Owen on a bad day. You're going to call it Danny he Owen. He doesn't have bad days. You can shoot him s- up. Right. <laughs> He's still really entertaining. Yeah, my, my wife won't like that. My wife loves that film. <laughs> 
It's the Clive effect for you, isn't it? <laughs> uh, right, OK, well, we're, we're going to leave you now and uh, we're, going, we're going to perhaps go for a drink now and persuade Andy uh, how just how wrong he is about gravity as well. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so thanks to you both. Thanks, as always, to our uh, producer, Johnny, through the glass there. Uh, we'll leave you, as always, with the genial Andy Goulding. Well-endowed carvings and Freudian horns were emblems of joyous releases, fertility symbols of centuries past, and not the most subtle of pieces. But I'm far more ambivalent of their equivalent seen in our modern society, where aggressive assertions of sexual power come in a more vulgar variety. A high-powered job and a million-pound car, pretensions of upward mobility, now take the place of the symbolic grace that once formed a pledge of fertility. But obsession with wealth is to sexual health a detriment too great to measure, for it tends to be paired with obsession with self, which doesn't leave much for your pleasure. The power to flash a big bundle of cash may seem like a strong aphrodisiac, but pocket stuff bursting with £20 notes plays havoc with your sacroiliac. The capitalistic and smug narcissistic may feel they've no room to improve, but if money is really what makes the world turn, then why does the earth never move? It's a sad life indeed based on power and greed, when you've looked at your partner and wondered why they seem less turned on playing footsie with you than they are by the footsie 100. She would never say where she came from. You've been listening to Spoiler, hosted by me, Paul Tyler, with Andy Goulding and Rachel Burnett. Our theme music was composed by Ron Butcher. Yesterday don't matter if it's gone. If you've enjoyed the show and would like to support us, you can do so via our website, spoilerpodcast.co.uk. Click on the donate button and give us whatever you think we're worth. You can also sign up for a free 30-day trial with Audible and get yourself a free audiobook by going to spoilerpodcast.co.uk and clicking on the Audible trial banner on the left-hand side. Or you can help us by simply telling your friends about us, sharing links to our show or writing a nice review on iTunes. Ruby Tuesday Who could hang a name on you When you change with every new day Still I'm gonna miss you Next time on Spoiler, we're taking a look at Baz Luhrmann's 1996 Shakespeare adaptation, Romeo and Juliet. My heart loved till now For swear it's sight For I never saw true beauty till this night if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email hello at spoilerpodcast.co.uk. Find us on Twitter or Facebook, or go to our website, spoilerpodcast.co.uk. Spoiler is produced by Johnny Hoare and is a Joe Schmo production. The show was recorded at the studios of Siren FM in the heart of the beautiful cathedral city of Lincoln. I lived there once. Didn't like it. <laughs>